Well, you know you're having a bad day when your imaginary friend files a restraining order against you. You know you're having a bad day when your tax refund check bounces. You know you're having a bad day when your pet rock snaps at you. You know you're having a bad day when your boss tells you not to bother taking off your coat. That's a pretty bad day. You know you're having a bad day when your twin sister forgets your birthday. This is my favorite. This is my very favorite. You know you're having a bad day when the bird singing out your window is a vulture. That's a bad day. I don't know if you've had a bad day this week. Maybe you feel like you've, you've had a bad week. Maybe it's been a bad couple of months. Maybe it's been a bad year or a few years or decades. Maybe for some of you, you feel like your life has been marked by suffering and sorrow, and maybe it has been. Today we're gonna to talk about lament. Pastor Brian did a great job last week talking about the four steps in healthy lament and going before God with our pain and seeking to trust him in that. We're in this series called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Today we're gonna to be looking at the book of Lamentations if you wanna to turn to Lamentations chapter three. You may feel like you've gone through a lot. And for some of you, maybe you have a, a, a biological predisposition toward clinical depression, or maybe the circumstances of your life have been overwhelming, going all the way back to your childhood, and you just feel like the storm clouds not only are on the horizon, they're over top of you, and they've been over you for a lifetime. One of the characters in Scripture that's hard to actually put his story into some sort of children's video or, or children's flannel graph for Sunday school is the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah who lived in the sixth century BC. Jeremiah was called by God to be a prophet, but God told him your ministry is gonna be so miserable you shouldn't marry or have children so you bring the misery on them. Your ministry is gonna be so miserable that you're gonna be mocked and rejected. This is not going to be a great positive ministry for you, Jeremiah, but I've called you to be used by me. I love you and I wanna use you. That's hard to put in the children's video. As a matter of fact, for 40 years, God would call on Jeremiah to challenge his people, the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom of God's people. The northern kingdom in 722 BC had been conquered by the Assyrians because they turned their back on God for so long, used the Assyrians to bring judgment, the enemies of God's people, to draw them back to the Lord. The southern kingdom had been more faithful, but now they were drifting from God and bringing idols in and rejecting Jehovah God. And so God sends prophets like Jeremiah to confront the kings and leaders, the priests of the nation of Judah, of the city of Jerusalem. And for 40 years, he warns them. They reject him, they mock him. False prophets say he's the false prophet. He's put in stocks and embarrassed in the public square, they try to humiliate him and shame him. He was thrown into a cistern where the book of Jeremiah describes he sinks deep down into the mud and mire of this cistern to the point he's about to be suffocated by the mud when someone rescues him, that place of worms and leeches. It's, it's a horrific situation. And for 40 years, from 626 B.C. to 586 B.C., he is this minister who is rejected. He pronounces God's judgment. He speaks for God. And in the final part of those 40 years, Babylon comes, surrounds Jerusalem, cuts it off from the outside world for almost a year. People are starving to death. And God tells Jeremiah to keep pronouncing judgment and telling them that the city will fall, the Babylonians will will destroy the city of Jerusalem and the temple and it will last for seven decades before God 
restores the people to the land as their hearts would turn back to him. So there is this lifelong lament for Jeremiah. His story is a story of heaviness and dark clouds constantly. Again, I may be speaking to some in the room or some on the broadcast who, who believe that's your life. It's been the last decade of your life. I think what we're going to learn in Lamentations chapter 3 today, verses 20 through 33, really is going to help us, those of us who've had some bad days, bad weeks, bad months, bad years, or maybe a lifetime of lament, to find hope in the midst of that. This, this little book we're looking at is Lamentations, written by Jeremiah. It's five poems. Each of the five chapters is a, a poem. And it's his lament while Babylon is crushing the people of Israel. Eventually they destroy the city after people starve to death and they drag away the best and the brightest. Jeremiah, in this book of Lamentations, these five poems, has 154 verses and only 12 of them have a hint of hope. So if you're looking for a real upper uh, this Thanksgiving week, read the entire book of Lamentations. But God gives us this to show us that he hears our lament and he gives us this passage in Lamentations 3 to understand that there can be hope in the midst of our sorrow and pain. Jeremiah gets to the place, his life is so heavy and he has lamented and grieved and sorrowed for so long that in Jeremiah 20, 14 through 18, he cries out and says, I curse the day I was born. May no one celebrate the day of my birth. I curse the messenger who told my father, good news, you have a son. Oh, that I had died in my mother's womb, that her body had been my grave. Why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. Some of you, those words echo with you because of the pain and difficulty you've experienced in life. How do you find hope when you feel like Jeremiah? How do you find just a glimpse of God's hand in the midst of that? Well, this Thanksgiving week, I think it's important for us to understand Lamentations 3 and how Jeremiah himself latched onto hope and dared to hope in the midst of his pain, sorrow, and lament. Today we're gonna to talk about dare to hope from Lamentations 3, 20 through 33. Pastor Brian Howard mentioned last week as he introduced this three-part series that, that we both had read a, a good book on Lamentations by a man named Mark Vrogop called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. And it's where we got the title for the series. And if you really want to go deeper into the book of Lamentations, this is the best book I've ever read on this. It's very practical. It's available in our bookstore. I understand that on Audible, I've been saying the other two services, Kindle, so people are frustrated looking for a free copy of this on Kindle. It's not available free on Kindle. It's on the Audible audiobook where you can get a free copy of this if you have a membership there. Uh, but this is a a, a good look at the book of Lamentations. So we're going to zero in on the 154 verses. We're going to zero on, in on 12 verses, the only 12 verses that have any hint of positivity or hope in this book. And we'll see here in Lamentations 3 that when overwhelming dark clouds form in your life, you can either dare to hope or surrender to despair. You can dare to hope in your God and who he is, or you can surrender to the despair found in your circumstances. Some folks say, well, I don't want to dare to hope, but I don't want to surrender. There's no in-between. Because once you lose your hope in your God, you are slipping towards surrendering in despair. 
to the circumstances of your life. Mark Vrogop writes, despair lives under the hopeless resignation that God doesn't care, he doesn't hear, and nothing is going to change. Jeremiah dares to hope. Look at verses 20 and 21 of Lamentations 3, either they're in the hard copy of the Bible you might have in front of you, or, or go there digitally and join me in Lamentations 3. I'll be reading today from the New Living Translation that I think just echoes the, the poetry here so distinctly and clearly. Jeremiah says in verse 20, I will never forget this awful time. What awful time? My life. <laughs> 40 years of misery and ministry. As I grieve over my loss. Now he's speaking of what's happened to Jerusalem that he'd been predicting, but he never wanted to see it happen. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. What's he going to remember? Well, in the next 12 verses, he's going to remember the faithfulness and goodness of his God. If you've had a bad day, bad week, bad month, bad year, bad decade, or maybe you feel like you've lamented for a lifetime, I want to challenge you today to dare to hope, to look for the glimpses of God's faithfulness and goodness in your life, and they are there. Rogop writes, we need to preach to our own hearts. We need to use lament to express the sorrow that we feel, but we also need to use lament to rehearse the truths that we believe. We need to interpret pain and judgment through the lens of God's character and ultimate mercy. Hope springs when the truth about God is rehearsed. Jeremiah says there in verse 21, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. He rehearses intentionally some of the beliefs he has about the faithful and good character of God so that then he can notice the glimpses of God in the midst of his misery and pain. Let's look at a couple of things we're to dare to hope in. Number one, dare to hope in the faithfulness of God and his loyal love. Dare to hope in the faithfulness of God and his loyal love. We're going to see words like mercy and love and faithfulness come up in these verses, these 12 verses that have hints of hope in the midst of the misery of the rest of Lamentations. One of the key words that will be used over and over again in this passage is the Hebrew word chesed that I've mentioned many times in the last year. It's the word for faithful love, used 250 times in the Bible, and it speaks of God's loyal love to us. You see, he is a faithful God, and we experience it through the expression of his loyal love to us. Look at how Jeremiah describes this loyal, faithful love of God. His love will never let you go. His love will never let you go. Verse 22, the first part, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. There are two sides to this phrase. Some of your translations, if you're reading the NIV or maybe even the old King James, it'll say, uh, we're, his mercies keep us from being consumed. Because of his mercies, we are not consumed. It's kind of the negative side of this, this phrase. It has the idea that because of his goodness, this holy, righteous God that we're before, we don't deserve anything, but he gives us life. We're here, and that's a part of his mercy to us. But then the, the positive side of this phrase is the idea that he will never let you go. Jesus said in John 10 that when we're a follower of his, we are in the Father's hand, and no one and nothing can pluck us out of his hand. It's his loyal love to us. His love will never let you go. Secondly, his love will never let you down. You could say, well... 
I wanted certain things or I think I deserve certain things. So I had expectations. It's not measuring up like these people or that people or what. I get that. But this is more than just our expectations in being let down. This is the fact that we can turn to him and when all life has been lost, it seems, and the clouds are dark and the waters are deep and we don't know where we're gonna go, God's love will still be there. His mercies never cease, the last part of verse 22 says. And this now moves from this, this loyal chesed love to a practical, intimate expression of love and kindness and compassion and grace. His love will never let you down. It will always be there for you, even when all other aspects of life seem to have abandoned you. Thirdly, his love will be new for you every morning. His love will be new for you every morning. You know, we've gotten used to being in a room like this. There are no windows in this worship center. Sometimes it's referred to as a black box because then you can use lighting to do a lot. But if the lights went off in here completely, it would be very dark. We can just flip on switches and lights come on. In the ancient world, when Jeremiah was writing, when it got dark... The day ended and you had a period there where you might keep an oil lamp for a little while or fire going, but pretty much when it got dark, people went to bed. And when the sun came up the next day, they got up. That'd be hard for some of us, right? But there was a rhythm that there was this, this clear conclusion to the day before coming with the night. And so Jeremiah says here, his love will be new for you every morning. He says, great is his faithfulness, or some translations say, great is thy faithfulness. This is where the great hymn comes from. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Maybe you've had a week or two or month or decade or a lifetime of lament. When you go to bed tonight, and you lay your head on a pillow, you just say to God, God, this hasn't been easy, but thank you for being with me in the journey. And then when you wake up tomorrow morning, say, good morning, Lord. I'm going to look for glimpses of your faithful love in my life today. There, there was a, a rhythm in the ancient world where the night ended the day and the next day was a new day. And Jeremiah is emphasizing how he's gotten through these 40 years of misery is that he closes the chapter on what was before and each morning he has a fresh expectation to look for and experience the loyal, faithful love of God. Can I encourage you, maybe starting tonight, the last thing you do before you go to sleep, say thank you, God, for being with me in the journey. I'm leaving all that's behind me, behind me, looking for tomorrow morning your fresh love. And then when you get up tomorrow morning, the next day, and do this throughout the week, even as you prepare for Thanksgiving, say, thank you, God, for the fresh morning. I'm going to look for glimpses of your faithfulness and compassion and mercy in my life. Fourthly, his love will make him your only option in hope. If you're going to dare to hope, in God's faithfulness and his loyal love, you have to understand that his love will never let you go, never let you down. It will be new for you every morning and his love will make him your only option and ultimate hope. Notice what Jeremiah says in verse 24. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. 
Now, an inheritance was the ultimate possession someone could have. A parent was preparing to leave you something. You may have even been a part of working in the, the household business or the farm, and, and you're helping build that. And so you're looking forward to this ultimate possession and prize that is promised to be yours and will be yours one day. You know, sometimes we say it in the modern world, we'll say, especially in the American culture, might say, I'm going to, you know, if I win the lottery, I'll do this, right? You kind of think of something like that. But for them, the ultimate possession was that inheritance. And, and notice again what, what Jeremiah says here. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. There's a promise in Scripture that when we know Jesus, he is ours and we are his. And there is this precious promise then that's not just for now that keeps me going today, but one day I will receive this inheritance in the very presence of God forever. And so there's this precious promise that what I'm going through, and Jeremiah latches onto this, the Lord is my greatest possession, my relationship with him. Therefore, I can hope, I can dare to hope because I've got him and he's got me no matter what. The psalmist said it in Psalm 23, 6. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you understand that God in his faithfulness is pursuing you to show you his love? You might say, but I'm like Jeremiah. I've had a life of lament. or I've had months of lament. It's been going on in our family. This stuff with the finance, the job, the health, the grieving over loss of love. This stuff has been so heavy. God is pursuing you in that to show you his faithfulness and love. We have to step back and say, wait, God is, the love of God and his loyal faithfulness is my greatest possession, my greatest joy. Notice he says, the psalmist says, I will live in the house of the Lord forever. There's this precious promise that he's with me now, pursuing me with his goodness and faithfulness and love, and I will be with him forever. As a kid, grew up in a home, good Christian home, but a lot of complexity because of my mom's issues with a traumatic brain injury and a lot of chaos. And I often looked to the scriptures, even at a young age, to try to find a verse I'd latch on to. And about age 12, I decided what my life verse was going to be. I didn't know about what was going to happen with my mom, with my life, what was coming ahead. And life was difficult, and so I felt like I was at a loss. And I latched on to 2 Timothy 1.12. The Apostle Paul writes to the young man Timothy from prison for preaching the gospel. Paul's been preaching the gospel. And there are hints in the book that he believes he's about to be murdered or martyred for Christ. And so he doesn't know what's going to happen, and we do believe he was martyred. This is the last writing of the Apostle Paul. After this, his life is taken but he says to Timothy, I don't know a lot. I don't know what's going to happen. There, there are things that are uncertain in my future. There's stuff I've gone through. I'm in the middle of a storm. The dark clouds are surrounding me. But he says this, but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Second Timothy 1.12, my life first. I think it's from the King James. That's what I memorized it in then. I know whom I have believed. I know that I've put myself and my eternal destiny in the one who is my inheritance. And no matter if, like Job, my, my family is taken, my, my finances are taken, it seems like I have nothing in this world, I can say I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able, not I'm able, he's able to keep what I've committed unto him, my very destiny, 
until that day. What day? To the day that the inheritance is mine and I am with him forever. Dare to hope. Dare to hope in the faithfulness of God and his loyal love. Well, when the dark clouds overwhelmingly form in your life, choose to hope in your God, not surrender to despair, the despair of your circumstances. How do you do that? Well, Jeremiah, the one who had a lifelong experience with lament, sorrow, and pain, says, dare to hope in the faithfulness of God and his loyal love. But secondly, verses 25 through 33, he says, dare to hope in the goodness of God and his perfect plan. Jeremiah knew God had a plan, even in his suffering. In Romans 8, 28, we read that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. A lot of times we take the verse, we think that means things are gonna get bigger, better, and brighter tomorrow. We're gonna have more stuff, better stuff, better people in our lives, better circumstances. But actually, verse 29 is the key. It says, because he pre-planned that those of us who would know him would be conformed to the image of his son. So he's using the good, bad, and the ugly in my life and in your life to mold us and shape us, not so that we get bigger and better and brighter things, but we become better representatives of Jesus in human flesh on planet Earth so that we live and love like Jesus in a world that needs to see the light and salt and hope that Jesus offers. Dare to hope in the goodness of God and his perfect plan in your life. For Jeremiah, that was a lifelong lament. Maybe for you, it's been days, weeks, months, years, decades, even you feel like it's been a life of lament. Hope in the goodness of God and his perfect plan. There are three things he says in verses 25 through 33, these final nine verses of the 12 verses that hint at hope in this book of Lamentations. Number one, turn to God when you feel like giving up. Sometimes when you're overwhelmed, you feel like thrown in the towel. You just you feel like you're just going to quit even trying. Get it. It's just it's too overwhelming. Our impulse is to turn our back on God, but that's when you turn to God. You go against everything and every voice in you that says you've got to give up on God. That's when you turn to God. Jeremiah says in verse 25, the Lord is good to those who depend on him to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for the salvation from the Lord. And it is good for people to submit at an early age to the yoke of his discipline. It's good for us to sit under what he's doing and understand that he has a perfect plan and that his goodness to us may not always look good, but he is working something to mold us and shape us and make us more like Jesus. Turn to God when you feel like giving up. Never give up on God, someone has said, because he will never give up on you. Mark Vogrop in, Vrogop in Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy says, trust is believing what you know to be true even though the facts of suffering might call that belief into question. See, daring to hope is to say, I know what I feel, I know what I see, but I have my eyes fixed on Jesus. I know what I believe about him. Vrogop says, you live through suffering by what you believe, not by what you see or feel. We have to believe in the faithfulness of God and his loyal love. We have to believe in the goodness of God 
and his perfect plan. So whatever we're going through, those dark times of life, the deep waters where you feel like you're sinking again and you've barely come up to get any air, that's when you turn to God rather than giving up. Then he kind of tells us in verses 28 to 30, how do we turn to God? It's the second point. Wait for God when you feel like rushing on. Hi, my name is Sean. I'm a control freak type A. Some of you probably should confess that too, right? So when we, we, we don't notice God in our lives and we start to feel and see things like life is overwhelming us, we want to take control. Sometimes we need to settle down. As the verse said before, wait for the salvation of the Lord. Notice verse 28. Let them sit alone in silence. So how, how do you turn to God? How do you wait on him? Sit alone in silence beneath the Lord's demands. Let them lie face down in the dust, for there may be hope at last. Let them turn the other cheek to those who strike them and accept the insults of their enemies. A lot of people say, it's the New Testament says, turn the other cheek. Actually, Jesus was quoting Jeremiah, one of the positive things Jeremiah said in his lamentations. The idea here is that we've got to reorient our lives when we're in the storm, turn to God and then wait for him. And he gives us three ways we do that. I want to start with that last one, the, the enemies and others. And Jeremiah had had a lot of them, and he's just had to turn the other cheek. He's had to eliminate the noise of people who've said things that haven't been helpful and said things that have been hurtful. You have to kind of block those voices out and not get caught up in the vindictive vengeance, but just focus on being before the Lord. And then the first thing here, he says, let them sit alone in silence. I think sometimes we need to slow down, as the psalmist said, and be still and know that he is God before we rush on and try to resolve everything. There's seasons in my life where I just sit in silence. I read a psalm. Can I just encourage you to read Psalm or read Lamentations 3, verses 20 through 33 this week. If you're in a season of suffering or there's stuff going on in your life and you feel heavy-hearted, it's hard for you to see the goodness of God, just read Lamentations 3 and then sit in silence and let God's Spirit speak to you before you rush on and try to solve everything on your own. Often when I try to rush on and solve things on my own, it just gets more complicated. But then I want you to see this middle thing here. You, you push out the voices in your life that could just complicate things with vengeance and vindictiveness. You, you get silent and push out the noise of all that's going on in the world around us and in our lives. But then in the center of this, in verse 29, he says, let them lie face down in the dust for there may be hope at last. I don't do this as often as I should. This is a position of humility before God. But there's also something here when you're laying, why, why does he say, lay face down in the dust, and then notice he says, when you lay face down in the dust, there may be hope at last. How do you get hope with your face in the dust? It's from the dust that we came, right? And it's to the dust we return, our bodies do, until the day of the resurrection of the dead and we meet Christ. But why face down in the dust? When you're face down in the dust, all you got is dust. How can you hope from there? Because anything better in your life than dust is one of the blessings from God. 
You see, it reorients. Sometimes we have our expectations. I should have what these people have. My life should be like these people, like the Joneses. I think I deserve this because I've lived for Jesus this long and that long. And sometimes it's all of our different expectations of what blessings should be in our lives that rob us of seeing the good hand of God in our lives. And by getting face down in the dust, just laying flat down there, you say, anything better than this dust is a blessing from God. And before a holy, righteous God, anything better than this dust is more than I deserve. Maybe you start your Thanksgiving week by getting flat on the floor, seeing the lint on the carpet, or maybe you want to be bold and do this in your garden outside and see the dust. But maybe that's where you start your gratitude list. I just challenge you, even today, take out your notes app on your phone or a piece of paper. Just kind of get yourself either physically or metaphorically down in the dust and then realize, start counting your blessings from there. Hey, I can breathe today. Hey, I had a roof over my head. Hey, I had food on my table. And begin to build from the dust up the blessings of God in your life. And see if you don't see a fresh glimpse of his goodness and how he's working his perfect plan for you in your life. Count your blessings each day this week. Get down in the dust, and from that perspective, begin to count your blessings. Then maybe on Thanksgiving, share that with a friend. Email it to a Christian brother or sister and say, Here, here's my list. And if they come to Calvary and they were here this weekend, say, you know, from the dust up, this is what God has blessed me with. And I believe you'll begin to see a fresh glimpse of God's goodness in your life and his faithfulness in your life. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. We need to wait for God when we feel like rushing on. Thirdly, you turn to God when you feel like giving up. You wait for God when you feel like rushing on. But then Jeremiah says you lean on God when you feel like collapsing in. He then says this about God because there in the dust, in the silence, with the voices pushed out of your enemies and those who try to help and aren't. From that place, you start to begin to really understand who God is, and it's contrary to what your circumstances are saying. Jeremiah says in verse 31, for no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. There are times you can feel in life like God has forgotten you, your marriage, your job, your family, your health, the loved one you've lost. You feel like you've been abandoned. He will not abandon you. Though he brings grief, he allows in his sovereignty some things into our lives that are not pleasant because he is working his perfect plan according to his goodness. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion because of the greatness of his unfailing love. That's said again. That unbreakable, loyal, faithful love. Sometimes we count our items of grief more than we notice the goodness of God. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion because of the greatness of his unfailing love. And I love verse 33. This is what we have to know about the heart of God. While we're in the dust, looking at the goodness of God and the glimpses of the goodness, for he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. God doesn't get his kicks out of allowing the good, bad, and ugly in your life. He allows the good, bad, and ugly in your life so that you will have a relationship with him, and in that relationship, through all those things, he's gonna shape you and mold you from the inside out to make you more like Jesus. So as you live in this world, you live in love like Jesus, and more people will see the hope of Christ in and through you. 
Lean on God when you feel like collapsing. And sometimes it feels like everything you're going through, just one more thing is going to cause this house of cards to collapse in and you're going to implode. That's when it's like the old song, song said, you lean on the everlasting arms. The arms that even if he allows grief, he's going to fill you with compassion because of his faithful love. The arms of one who doesn't find joy in causing you pain or allowing you, to, allowing you to go through pain. He wants you to see and sense his goodness. When the overwhelming dark clouds form, choose to dare to hope in your God. Don't surrender to the circumstances of your life. How do you do that? You dare to hope in the faithfulness of God and his loyal love. You dare to hope in the goodness of God and his perfect plan. And when you do hope, you defy despair. Choosing hope is an act of defiance against despair. Let's defy despair this week and this week of gratitude and thanksgiving. But surrendering to despair is an act of defiance against the hope God wants you to experience. Choose hope. One day this week, my wife told me that her car, the engine light had come on. She said, I'm not comfortable driving. I'm not sure what's going to happen. It doesn't say anything specific. I said, okay, I'll take it, and I'll take it to the mechanic tomorrow. So I got in the car, and Leslie took my car. And um, as I was approaching the 23 from where we live, and uh, I was getting on, about to get on the 23, um, it just glide, stopped, and I glided to the side of the road. So I called AAA and used the AAA app, and and they said they were sending someone, and it took quite some time, and so I had to start canceling some appointments I had for early in the morning and even mid to late morning. And, and then I saw a tow truck come off one of the ramps there, and I thought, oh, it's coming to me, but I saw another car broken down, and the tow truck driver got confused and went to them. And then my app popped up and said, your driver has been rerouted to another incident. And I said, no, that's the first one he came across. So then I had to wait longer again. And finally, then I had to get a rental car, and then I went to go through all this process. It took the whole morning, and... Then later in the afternoon, I realized that something I'd eaten earlier in the day caused me to have food poisoning. <laughs> and so I got to the place where, you know that place where you get a pillow and a blanket and you just lay next to the commode because you're afraid to be too far from it? I'm laying there on the floor, and God has this way of when I'm preparing a sermon to kind of speak to me in the midst of my circumstances <laughs> regarding the very things I'm talking about. And I just sense the Holy Spirit laying there, just thinking, oh, this is terrible. How can this? I, I just sense the Holy Spirit saying, dare to hope? From the floor? With food poisoning? Dare to hope in the faithfulness of God and his loyal love. It hasn't changed. Dare to hope in the goodness of God and his perfect plan. He's using this to teach me, to grow me. He's allowed it to shape me and make me more like Jesus. The car troubles, the food poisoning... And that was just a bad day for me this week. For some of you, it's not just a bad day. It's been a decade. It's been a lifetime of lament. But I challenge you, dare to hope in the faithfulness and goodness of your God. And watch how he meets you in those moments when you dare to hope. Are you daring to hope or surrendering to despair? Are you daring to hope or surrendering to despair? Father, thank you for the hope 
you offer us. I pray for those who've been in a season of lament. Maybe they feel like Jeremiah, that it's been decades, it's been a lifetime of misery. Maybe it goes back to their childhood and stuff they carry with them. I pray, Father, for those who maybe have a disposition, even biologically, toward depression or anxiety, those who maybe have gone through tough circumstances. May they dare to hope. I pray, Lord, for all of us this week of thanksgiving and gratitude that we would, from our faces in the dust perspective, look for the evidence of the good hand of God in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.